and see the future. And I believe that God has gone ahead to make the crooked places straight and to break into pieces the gates of brass cut in asunder the bars of iron. He will give us access to the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Thank you, Lord. By the special grace of God, those of us who are here for the first time, we declared this month as a month of evangelism. Someone say the month of evangelism. It is part of what the Lord has told us as um, the year 2019 is all about. The year 2019 for us is the year of revival, bringing back to life that which was dead or which was dying, that which is dead or is dying. That is revival. And in the course of pursuing this revival, God wants us to emphasize some responsibilities we'll be undertaking, particularly in the month of July, in a practical way. And that has to do with witnessing for Jesus Christ, winning somebody for Jesus, letting somebody know what the gospel is all about, and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So, throughout the month of June, we've been preaching along that line. The first Sunday, uh, resident pastor, Pastor Joe Sutherland, brought us a message titled, Take Up Your Cross Daily. The following Sunday, we brought a message, Personalize the Gospel. Last week, Sunday, I taught on another message called what? Receive the Ministry of Reconciliation. And we are crowning it all today with a message titled, Be a Witness. Tell your neighbor, Be a Witness. Be a witness. Kindly turn your Bible with me to Acts chapter 1, where we find that word witness. Acts chapter 1. Let me take it from the verse 6. This was after Jesus had risen from the dead, had been with the disciples for 40 days. Interestingly, as at the day the Lord Jesus was about to leave them from the surface of the earth back to heaven, they still didn't understand or they had not understood the program of God as far as the nations were concerned. To them, they were still looking at Jesus as a political messiah. One who will come and rescue them from servitude to the Romans. They were only looking at them and nobody else, but God had a bigger picture. God wanted to factor you and me into his programming. Hallelujah. So whatever Jesus told them, it has been recorded and written for you and me to follow suit so that indeed we will continue God's program till Jesus comes. When he comes back to the earth, we have taught in this house, he will come for the church in the air. And after about a period of seven years, we will come back to the earth with him. When he comes back to the earth, that is when the program they had in mind will be implemented, the political program. Because according to scripture, we will land on Mount Olivet and fight the battle of Amigadon and then take over Jerusalem as our capital city. And from there, many of us will be posted to the various nations to rule over the nations for a period of a thousand years. Hallelujah. But this was what they thought because they could not rightly divide the word of truth. They could not ascertain that God had a program which was better than even the program for the nation Israel. This is a program for the new creation, the family of God, the first and the best of God's creation, the first fruits of God. You and me, hallelujah. So in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, they asked him a question. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Did you see that? They were looking at a political kingdom. But the kingdom is first spiritual before it, it will become political. Verse 7, and he said, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority. That's not your jurisdiction. That's what he was telling them. Don't concern yourself about that. When that time comes, it has already been written. Nothing will stop God's program. When the time comes for Jesus to come back to the earth, nothing will stop everything that has been written from the descent of of heaven, we together with Jesus and the holy angels will descend, and from there to the thousand year reign, after that to the white throne judgment, and from there to the world to come. Everything that has been said will come to pass, and it is not for you to worry yourself about that. Hallelujah. What we need to do now is what Jesus is introducing here. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. The new King James says, when? The King James, I like the King James rendering of this verse very particularly. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The King James says, to the uttermost part of the earth. Somebody say, Amen you shall receive power after that even if you put it when i can still explain why the translator said when instead of after that in the king james but what jesus christ had in mind was not just when the holy spirit is received then automatically you are empowered to become witnesses that's what he had in mind and for which cause the translators in the king james version said after that the holy ghost has come upon you because in the body of christ presently one of the mis most misinterpreted teaching misconstrued teaching misunderstood teaching is the teaching on the baptism of the holy spirit there is a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The two can happen the same time, just like it happened in the Acts chapter 2. But the two are not the same. One may receive the Holy Spirit and may never give the Holy Spirit the right of way. In other words, the room for him to operate as the leader, as the guide, as the helper. The Holy Spirit may be in you, but you might have locked him up. And mind you, he will not force himself on you. So, he is in you, but he is not in control. When we taught in this house about baptism in the Holy Spirit, we discovered that in the book of Ezekiel, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is exemplified. The prophet was sent into a river in the temple that was flowing, and he said the river flowed at his ankle, and then it moved to the knee, and then it moved to the waist, and then it overflowed. For many of us who have received the Holy Spirit, yes, he is on the inside of us, but the only control the Holy Spirit has over us, over our souls, is at the ankle level, and we call it about 20%. So Yes, the Holy Spirit is in charge of your life, just 20%. But the 80% of your life, you are in charge. You take your own decisions. You go where you want to go. You do what you want to do. At that level, you cannot say you are baptized. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but you are not baptized yet. We said to be baptized is to be immersed. 
completely submerged where the Holy Spirit has taken over your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. When you receive the Holy Spirit, he comes to reside in your spirit. You become one with the Spirit. The Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So you are one with the Holy Spirit on the inside, but your soul, which is also a faculty of your inner man, may not be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but you have your own mind. So we have even seen in scripture before that when Paul said that we have the mind of Christ, he wasn't talking to every believer. The one who has the mind of Christ is the one whose mind has been taken over by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Yes, so the Holy Spirit may gain some room and then he comes to the to the to the knee level. Let's call that 35%. If the Holy Spirit has 35% control over your soul, how about the 65% remaining? It's yourself. So you are still in charge. You can't call that baptism. Then he moved to the waste level. Let's call that 50%. Even 50% of control is still not enough. It means that 50% of the time you may choose to do your own thing. I remember when I taught on baptism the Holy Spirit, I actually used a scripture in John chapter 21. Maybe you can go there. Let me just show you to just show you John 21, which is just a page before Acts chapter 1, right? John 21, verse 18 into 19. This was Jesus addressing Peter the apostle. Jesus tells him, just this was also just when he was about to be taken from the earth. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you gathered yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will get you and carry you where you do not wish. Please, did you hear that? Let me read that line again in case you didn't hear. Hmm. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will get you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19 says, this he spoke, that is Jesus spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Somebody say amen. Please, did you hear that? Jesus spoke this to Peter, signifying by what death he would glorify God. What does that mean? People of God, this is a very beautiful picture of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. When you are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, even death, if you should die, is to glorify God. How much more your life? Did you hear that? I said, if you are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, if it should happen that you should die, not all of us are supposed to die anyway. This is a controversial statement, I know, but those of us who have been around know that I've taught a lot on this scripture. The Bible says, and just as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There was no full stop. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. There was no full stop. So Christ was once offered. So there's no full stop. Semicolon. And unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin for salvation. So, it's not about, oh, we are all appointed to die. Not all of us are appointed to die. Some are appointed to look for him. And this is the generation that is looking for him. Working towards his coming. Hallelujah. If it does not happen in our generation, nothing is lost. 
After all, he started in the first century. They were all looking for him. Look at all the epistles of Paul the Apostle. You could see that they had a yearning, a longing, a desire looking for Jesus as though he was coming that same day. 2100 years, 2100 years after, should we become lackadaisical and cold and indifferent about his coming? He's coming back, hallelujah. And you've got to look for him, work towards his coming, desire his coming. But if we are to desire his coming, he wants us to be witnesses of him or about him. And then he is telling us that you shall receive power. That is dunamis. You are talking about a dynamic ability on the inside. This work of the ministry, you want to go and evangelize, don't go in your own strength. It must be by the enablings of the Holy Ghost on the inside. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. He is the one that brings conviction. So if you do not give him the right of way, you will go and talk your own talk and you will never be able to convict anybody with the gospel. Hallelujah. So the key to being a witness, and I will explain very soon who a witness is. It, it is actually the same thing I'm saying, but I will read to you what a witness is or who a witness is. The key to being a witness is to begin with the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit has the right of way. He has gained room enough in you to take over, to guide the way, to the extent that if you should even die, your death is to bring glory to God. So my question is, if my death is to glorify God, how much more am I living? How much more am I life? In other words, everything about us is supposed to be a witness, including our death. Hallelujah. Your death should testify that this Jesus lives. Like Stephen. Stephen was being stoned to death. And the Bible says that they saw his face like the face of an angel. He started glittering with the glory and the express, the express glory of heaven. Why? Because even his death brought you know a message that this jesus the man is talking about is real hallelujah all right so what am i saying you shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you or when the holy spirit has come upon you in other words if you have received the holy spirit it is at a time when he has come up on you up on you he is in you but he may be somewhere here but when he has come up, in other words, from the inside, and he has now clothed you with his person. So when people see you, they are not seeing you, they are seeing fire. They are seeing glory. They are seeing power. It is no longer you, like Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whatever you do speaks about Christ. That is when the Holy Spirit has taken over. Taking over your soul. Taking over your mind. Many times we have our own mind. And if God shall portray our mind on the screen, you'll be amazed at dirty things that will be portrayed. Are you there? Many times we have our own will. Contrary to the will of the Father. The Father may be telling you, go this way. But your will says, I want to go this way. At that level, you are not baptized yet. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but he hasn't taken over. And sometimes we have our own emotions. Oh, the least said about emotions, the better. Hallelujah. I said the least said about emotions, the better. Because can you imagine when Jesus was on the cross and they were spitting on him? 
hit him. In fact, before he even hung on, on the cross, they actually blinded, blindfolded him and hit him with a reed. You know, curse him, spat on him to prophesy. If you say you are the son of God, prophesy. Can you imagine at a point in time, Jesus losing his, you know, cool. Isaiah had prophesied that as a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. So can you imagine all of a sudden, out of provocation, he lost his cool and began speaking. Can you imagine what would have happened? The man wouldn't have died. And you and I wouldn't have come in if he had not died. Hallelujah. Please, are you following? At a point in time, he even told them that, look, I can even call the father and he can send legions of angels to come and help me. It's not about, I am not afraid of anything. It was just because the man was on a mission. He was, Bible says, even to be tempted, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Even his temptation was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But you know, it's not all of us who are tempted under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Many times we lead ourselves to the place of temptation. Then he said, oh, the devil tempted me. The devil didn't tempt you under the influence of the Holy Ghost. You led yourself there. Am I talking to somebody? You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Who is a witness? Let's go there. Interestingly, what I've said is actually the definition of a witness. A witness, the Greek word translated witnesses is matus. M-A-R-T-U-S. Pronounced matus. Matus is those who, after Christ's example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Hmm. Did you hear that? I don't know whether you heard the definition. Those who, after Christ's example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. That's a martyrs. That's a witness. So when Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. He wasn't just talking about, okay, get up and go and talk about me. He was saying that, be prepared even to die for my sake. In fact, one of the definitions of martyrs is a martyr. Someone say martyr. You know a martyr? Somebody who dies for his or her faith. A martyr. Are there witnesses in the house? Are you sure? How ready are we to dare the circumstances of life such that if we should perish like Esther, if I perish, I perish. I don't know how many of us are ready to come to that place until we come to the place where we say that if I perish, I perish. We are not yet witnesses. But the man says, you shall be. So if he says you shall be, be. He wants us to be ready to say I want the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of me to take over my soul. That is the greatest battle of every believer. Many times we want to be in charge. Meanwhile, we have the Holy Ghost. Even when we are praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit prompts us on the inside that this and check it, do away with it. You still want to hold on to the carnal self. 
You still want to hold on to your own ideologies, your own mindset. Your mind can never be renewed. You are still thinking the same old way, talking the same old way, living the same old way, hindering the Holy Spirit from taking over. Meanwhile, he is on the inside of you to take over your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. It doesn't mean that you will lose your mind. No, now you have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean you will lose your will. Your will is not submerged in him. Like Jesus in Gethsemane. Come on. Jesus was in Gethsemane. And there was a, the greatest battle. People of God, I've said it in this house before. Was not even fought on the cross. It was in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, there was a battle between Jesus. Taking into his spirit. My sin and your sin. Or refusing to do so. And if he had refused to take upon himself my sin and your sin, that wouldn't have been sin. He wouldn't have sinned against the father because it was out of his own volition. It was his own free will to offer himself. But when he came face to face with reality in Gethsemane, when the battle dawned on him that, hey, what I'm going to, what I'm going to carry is more than I thought. It's more than the mind can comprehend. The man was in Gethsemane. At the time, he needed prayer support. Have you been to a place where you need people to stand with you and they are, they are falling asleep? It happened to the apostles. They were supposed to have stood with Jesus in prayer, but they were asleep. Bible said they were deep in sleep. And the man went alone beyond them and prayed, crying to God. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. Which cup was Jesus referring to? The cup of my iniquity, your iniquity. That is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 meant by for he has made him, that is Jesus, to be sent for us who knew no sin. The man who didn't know sin in his spirit was going to carry my sin into his spirit. He was going to drink into himself the, I mean the sins of humankind from the first Adam to the last but one Adam who is not even yet born. Because he died as the last Adam. And he did all this through the eternal spirit. So the Holy Spirit was going to carry our iniquity, the rebellious nature, the sin nature, and plant it in the spirit of Jesus. And he dreaded it. Do you know why? The reason why Jesus dreaded it was that the sin nature, can I say this? The sin nature, in case you don't know, for, for instance, physically, we have physical nature. We call it genes or your DNA. Your DNA makes you look the way you look. And anybody who sees you can trace you to a certain lineage. That, ah, this person, he might have come from this family because he looks like them. The sin nature makes one look on the inside while the leper looks on the outside. Did you hear that? That is why under the old covenant, even in the days of Jesus, if a leper was found, he was supposed to be ostracized. He was supposed to be cast from the kingdom and kept outside of the kingdom because if you carry leprosy, you were considered a sinner. Leprosy was symbolic of sin, but it was only just a symbol. I know that it's difficult for us to relate with a leprous, somebody who, is, who has leprosy. If he comes around and you're supposed to put your, your, your two hands together in the same bowl of fufu and soup, please will you do that? Are you sure you won't do it? Why won't you do it? Hey, Miss Allah. It's horrible. Alright. But this was what Jesus was going to carry into his spirit. 
worse than the leprous nature the sin nature makes us look on the inside horrible that is why somebody can look nice on the outside that's not what god looks at god looks at the at the heart man looks at the outward appearance jesus looked at nicodemus and told him in the face verily verily i say to you unless a man is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god that nature on the inside is not countenance in heaven so if you carry it you are an outcast everybody who has not believed the gospel and has not confessed the lordship of Jesus is still carrying that nature. It's a rebellious nature. It originated from Lucifer and he came through the serpent and when Adam obeyed the voice of the serpent, not only did he lose his authority over the earth, he also inherited that nature. Why? Because you inherit the nature of the one whose voice you listen to and obey. So Adam inherited it and he passed it through his seed, through his spermatozoa to all his descendants. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not because we did wrong, but because we were born that way. And what can wash away that nature? You can't use any detergent. I've said it here. You can't use any detergent. You try any detergent, it cannot wash away the sin nature. There is only one detergent, the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Unfortunately for Adam, his blood was contaminated with sin. So there was no hope for humankind. All of us were supposed to have perished. Think about it. But somebody took upon himself that I'm going to carry their sin into my spirit. So in Gethsemane, the battle now raged. Am I going to do this or not? He contemplated and went the second time. Father, if it is possible let this car pass over me but not as i will let your will be done he went to the disciples they were deep in sleep in fact they are started snoring and then he said couldn't you watch with me for just one hour and then he left them went back to the same place and bible said he prayed the same prayer this time around he said father if this cup will not pass over me let your will be done. And that was where we won. That was when we, you, you and I came in. If not for he submitting his will to the will of the father. If he had said, I won't do it again. Nobody would have carried him. But you and I would have been lost forever. Say thank you Jesus. You saved my soul through your free will sacrifice. What a wonderful savior. Oh yes. There's a song in the Methodist hymn I love so much. Hallelujah. What a savior. Son of sorrows. He was called son of sorrows. But he carried sorrow into his spirit because he needed to save me. Somebody say amen. What am I saying? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. You shall be a martyr. Hey. You shall be, you know, we are used to only one definition of martyrs from the Greek, which is record. And that's what the apostles did, like Luke and Co. They recorded all that was done. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So all the apostles started recording. That's, that was an aspect of being a witness. But check the record. Apart from John, who died a natural death, all of them actually suffered as martyrs also. They were witnesses. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, be a witness. And ask him, okay, are you a witness? In other words, have you gotten to the place where after Christ's example, you have proved the strength and genuineness of your faith in Christ by undergoing 
a violent death. Should you die for Christ, will you do it? Will you deny Christ or you will stand up for Jesus? How we know that him? Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. When I say be a witness, I'm not just talking about, you know, there's an aspect of talking. But that is just about 2% of the work of being a witness. There are some people who are witnesses, you know, for Jehovah. And then they, they are very astute and very, you know, well organized. More than even many of us in our contemporary world. They know how to package themselves, carry some pamphlets, carry their bags, dress very well, move from house to house and tell you about Jehovah. But that's just about 2% of the work of being a witness. More than just talking is what we do with our lives. Hallelujah. Because it's not everybody who may want to hear this whole thing about is a gospel. What is gospel? Somebody dying and say it's good news. Forget about it. He may not want to hear. I've met people like that. The moment he said gospel, he said, please, forget about it. Because how can you say somebody has died and then he's, you know, you call it good news. What is good about somebody dying? Please, I don't want to hear. Such a person, how will you now talk to him? You cannot talk, but you can use your life as a witness. Hallelujah. Your life and your conduct and your behavior can just make the person wonder, ah, it looks as if this person wanted to tell me something I didn't want to hear. But the way he's living, can I go and find out what is in him that makes him live the way he lives? He seems to be at peace. He seems to have no trouble. He seems to be, you know, sleeping on a pillow in the midst of storms like Jesus. What is his secret? Then at that moment, you can open your mouth and preach the word of Christ. Hallelujah. Tell you never be a witness. So more than just talking, more than just recording, there is a place for our lifestyle. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, it says, Now, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest. I like the New King James here. He says, and makes manifest the fragrance. Don't say fragrance. Of his knowledge by us in every place. What does that mean? God makes manifest. Think about it. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us. If we will allow him room to operate. If we will give him the right of way. It is the mind of God that wherever you go. Although somebody may not have access to the Bible. They can smell God in you. God at work in us. The Bible says it is God who works in us. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He does it by making known, manifest the fragrance of his knowledge by us, in every place someone say in every place so it's not just when we come to church then you are nicely dressed and that's it but when you are in your office, you are a marijata you know marijata or you are chen chen hini or you are another person some people say that, where? Hey, I will prove to you who I am. I'm going to put off my Christian coat and show you my red pepper. That's not a witness. Because somebody may not hear the gospel, but he's watching. You may not know. Are you there? Somebody is watching. 
All he is desiring is that one day I will have the opportunity to hear about this person. What is it that is making him live this decent life, this glorious life? He seems to be at peace. Then you can use that opportunity too. So it doesn't start with talking. It starts with doing. Even Jesus, Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, I just quoted it, the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He didn't teach before he did. Many of us are ready to go and teach, but we are not doing the same thing. We do otherwise, but we want to teach. It's wrong. It is putting the cart before the horse. Even in Ezra, Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, Bible says, for Ezra has purpose in his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach in all Israel the statutes of God. He studied, number one. He did it, number two. And he taught it. Don't reverse the order. We've got to learn to be doers of the word and not only hearers. James says, deceiving your own selves. How can you be a witness by going to tell somebody about Jesus and you yourself, you are living in something else. You are, you are actually witnessing against yourself. Even your conscience will condemn you that what you are saying, you don't believe it. You are only a signboard. I hope you remember that message, don't be a signboard. You are pointing people to the way of salvation. In fact, through your message, somebody will be saved. But you yourself, you are not going there. What a useless life that will be. What a wasted effort and wasted, wasted life. Where you are pointing people to the way of salvation. But you yourself, you are still at the junction. Hallelujah. What are we saying? God makes manifest. How does he do it? That is where the Holy Spirit comes in. If we will learn to fellowship with the Holy Ghost. Look, International Prayer Resort Ministries and all those of us who are associated with this house, we cannot do this work of the ministry without reference to the person of the Holy Spirit. It will not work. It will only be might and power. It will only be book knowledge. It will only be education. It will only be, you know, trying to put efforts together. But the whole work is in the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God. So that our faith will not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Holy Spirit. If we can give him the right of way and he empowers you from within, he enables you from within, he energizes from within, that same God, wherever you go, he will make manifest the fragrance of his knowledge by you in every place. Haven't you been to a place where someone will ask you, are you a pastor? Did you tell me you're a pastor? That thing is smelling on you. But what will betide you when they see you and say, are you an amorable? Probably because you look like one. Hallelujah. Has anybody been asked that question before? Are you an arm robber? That means that you were a bad example. You are not a witness for Jesus. Hallelujah. Apart from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I just quoted, there's another scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Can somebody read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3? 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 the verses 2 and 3 all right 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse, verse 2, 2 and 3 yes you are an epistle written in our hearts listen to Paul addressing the Corinthian church he said you are what an epistle what is an epistle a letter I hope you know that all the documents that were put together as the New Testament they were all letters epistles 
Now, he is not talking about the one that he was writing to them. He says, you, the one I'm addressing, you are an epistle written in our hearts. Then what? Known and ready. Known and read. Known and read by all men. Known and read by all men. Someone say, known and read by all men. The verse 3. Clearly, you are an epistle. Clearly, you are an epistle for Christ. Oh, I don't know whether that can be said about me. Because it's not everybody who may want to do with your Bible. You can have your seat. Thank you. It's not everybody. He said, forget about Bible. I don't even want to read it. But in the office, I told you that there are places in this country I went to and I saw written boldly, no preaching here. If you want to preach, you've got to have the certified blah, 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 blah. And I said, it's a good thing. But I know also that though there's no preaching here by everybody and therefore you cannot carry Bible there. If I enter there, I can be the living epistle. Known and read. Though they may not have access to the Bible, but they should read me and read Christ in me. The songwriter wrote and said, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. Oh, thou spirit divine. All my nature refined till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me. Would that be your cry? That the beauty of Jesus will be seen in you. That's a witness. Where your prayer is that for us I go. Somebody may not have access to the Bible. Let me be the Bible to him. Oh. In 1 Peter chapter 3 I'm ending with that. Peter addressed women and of course it is also applicable to men. Okay? Because in Christ there is not a male nor female. Jew nor Gentile, born nor free, you are one. So, though in context he was addressing women, and of course, if you go down further, he also addressed men. But he was giving women a picture of how a woman can win the husband. If a woman can win a husband by this way, and I believe we can win anybody for Jesus by the same way. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 3. Let me end with that. Oh, my father, how I love Jesus. Verse three, verse one of First Peter three. He says, "Wives," and here he's talking to everybody. So don't just say that he's talking to wives. Say, "I'm included." Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if someone say, "Even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be warned." by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear by reverence that's what Peter is telling wives here but it's applicable not only to wives but to every believer in Jesus Christ our true husband is Jesus I hope you know that we both male and female Christ is the head he is the bridegroom we are the bride so he is, we can extend this verse to say everybody be submissive to the true husband Jesus Christ he is the chief husband man so that even if some do not obey the word and I'm telling you there are some people who don't want to have anything to do with the word did you hear that there are some people they don't want to have anything to do with the word it's like forget it and they can have reasons why they don't want to have anything to do with the word. So even if you have people like that, they without the word will be worn by your chaste conduct. What is chaste conduct? That's your pure behavior. Your holy behavior. 
You said your humility, your reverence for God, the way you conduct your life. That is why in the coming month, July, we're going to talk about responsible Christian living. It includes practical evangelism. You cannot be a believer and you misbehave in the office and you still come to church and come and serve as a leader. It doesn't work like that. If we need to chase you to that office and give you some koboko, because you are a wrong example and Bible says that by the way of some people the way of truth by the behavior of some people the way of truth is evil spoken of in other words they, they condemn Christ they just, oh, look at them they say they are believers they say they are griffin look at them because of you Bible says beware that thing is dangerous if because of you somebody is now blackmailing and blaspheming against Christ it's dangerous tell your neighbor be a witness so that if there are those who do not obey the word, even if they don't obey the word, by your conduct, by your behavior, by your example, you cannot be a believer and every day you are proposing to every lady that you meet. I'm talking to a, a man now. And then, when on the day of your wedding, now we have commotion because five, six women are crying because you broke their hearts. And then somebody can vow because of this man, then I'll never come to this church. You are not a witness. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? I'm getting practical. Is that not so? It's important. It's important. Hallelujah. Can you begin to talk to God wherever you are? I want to be a witness. I want to be a witness.